lessons in Tanya. The Tanya of Rabbi Schneir Zalman of Liadi. Taught by Rabbi Ben-Zion Krasniansky. Tanya's text elucidated by Rabbi Yosef Weinberg. Here he's coming to a, a major point of discussion between the early Kabbalist and the Hasidic teaching. And this became a major bone of contention between the Hasidim and the Mitnagdim, those who were opposed to Hasidim. And that is, how do you interpret, how do you interpret the concept that we find in the Kabbalah, a concept called Tzimtzum? Everyone is familiar with the term Tzimtzum. Tzimtzum means um, contraction, concentration, contraction. And there are many, many Tzimtzumim, but here he's referring to the first Tzimtzum the most important symptom. The Arizal, the greatest Kabbalist that ever lived, Rabbi Yitzchak Luria from Tzvat, writes that in the beginning, Hashem's infinite light filled, filled the whole space. And then Hashem removed himself, so to speak. Timtzum, he contracted himself. And he left an empty space. And then he drew down in this empty space like a ray of light. He left like a circle, an empty circle. And he removed his infinite light. The infinite light went, so to speak, around the circle. And then he emanated from within himself a ray, a kav, a, a line, a ray of light that, that shined into these, this empty space in the circle. It is in all of the worlds, the spiritual worlds, the divine worlds, the physical world that we live in, all of the worlds take place within this empty space. But in order, in order for there to be a world, Hashem had to remove Himself, totally remove Himself. Tzimtzum. He had to contract Himself and remove Himself and therefore create an empty space. Now, of course, He doesn't mean physical. Hashem is not physical. There's no... There's no circle, there's no lines, there's no removal. We don't mean anything physical. It's just a metaphor, using a physical metaphor. But understanding that it's all spiritual, the question is, what does it mean? Does it mean literally that Hashem removed Himself? As the early interpreters of the Kabbalah, some early interpreters of the Kabbalah learn, or as the Misnagdim, those who were opposed to the Hasidic movement, interpreted, or... Does it mean, as the Hasidim understood, the Baal Shem Tov, and the Hasidim, Rabbi Dovber, and Alter Rabbi, that it means not literally. That the Tzimtzum does not mean literally. That God did not really um, disappear, so to speak, or remove himself. It only appears that way. It appears that he disappeared. That was to us, it appears that he disappeared. But the truth is, he's present. For example, you close your eyes. What happened, what happened to your sight, your ability of seeing, when you close your eyes? You don't see, but it didn't go anywhere. It's there. The proof is you open your eyes and you see. Even, God forbid, someone who's blind, yet they're able to give birth to children, their children are able to see. So no, their ability to see went nowhere. Their ability to see is there. 
but it can't express itself because there's a defect in the eye, physical defect in the physical eye. But the power of the soul to see is intact, is present, is there, is whole. It didn't go anywhere. It just went back to its source. It, it does not project itself, but it is there. So too, the Hasidic understanding of symptom is that God's infinite light it's pre- which is the projection of God, is intact, is here. Even in that empty space, it's there. It hasn't changed. The only change is to our perspective, our point of view. We don't see it. For example, when a person, let's say you memorize, there's something in your mind, something you understand, and you memorize very well, but you're not thinking about it. But in one second you can remind yourself and you remind yourself of the whole thing. Let's say you studied a, a Talmudic a passage or you studied something and you studied it well and you understand it well. It's all in your head. It's there. The moment you think about it, you can summon it to the conscious. But right now you're not thinking about it. So where is it? It didn't disappear. It's still in here. It's right here. It's just I'm not conscious of it. I'm not thinking about it. I don't have the words right now because I'm not... It went back to its source. It went back to its source, which is, went back to the mind, the ability to think, but it's, it's all there. In one split second, I can just remind myself of it, and it all comes back with the words. Just right now, the letters, the words disappeared. But nothing really changed. The concept is still there. It's still in my head. It didn't go anywhere. It's just, it's not projected. I'm not conscious of it. But it's there. So tzimtzum, contraction, does not mean literally that God contracted himself doesn't mean it's not there. Nothing really changed. The light was not affected. The light remains, the infinite light, just like the infinite light filled the space before the symptom. Even after the symptom, this radical contraction, this quantum leap, this radical shift that created this empty space, the change is only to our perception. But regarding the infinite light, nothing changed. The infinite light is here. It hasn't gone anywhere. It's present. And it still fills the space. Versus those who learned. That no, that the, the Ari means literally that God contracted His infinite light and removed His infinite light. And removed this infinite light from this world, from this empty space that allowed this world to come into existence. What does that mean? We're talking about something godly, something spiritual, godly. You can't move something. It's not like I'm moving water from here to here. But it means to say, even in the spiritual world, in the spiritual realm, there is a concept of space. What's the concept of space when it comes to spiritual? 2 plus 2 is 4, it doesn't occupy any space. 2 plus 2 is 4, you can't limit it, it's in this room. 2 plus 2 is 4 is in this room, and downstairs, and upstairs, wherever you go. 2 plus 2 is 4. A concept is beyond space. But what's the concept of space when you talk about um, concepts? Something spiritual? Very simple. 2 plus 2 is 4. Is, it occupies one space versus 3 plus 3 is 6. Two different worlds. 3 plus 3 is 6 is one world, and 2 plus 2 is 4 is a different world. And the two worlds have no connection. 
Every concept has its space. Good is good and evil is evil. Material is material and spiritual is spiritual. The two have no connection. Love is love and hate is hate. It's two different worlds. In the spiritual world, the concept of space is that everything has its place, its position, occupies its position. And you can't mix the two. There's no mixing. That's one of the wonders of this physical world, which is the ultimate divine expression. And it actually proves the Alter Rebbe's point of view, the Hasidic point of view, that the Tzimtzum is not literally. Because this world, this physical world, is the ultimate expression of the divine. The fact that body and soul can be together, it makes no sense. In the spiritual world, you can't have it. In the spiritual world, Ganeden, heaven is heaven, and hell is hell. You can't mix hell and heaven together. Only in this world could you mix hell and heaven together. You can have the synagogue right next door to the house of prostitution, right next door. Only in this world could you be in one place. Only in this world could a person have evil inclination and a good inclination within, in the same person. Only in this world could a person do one act. You're doing an act of kindness, but your motivation is selfish. To be honored, to be famous. In the spiritual world, you can't have the mix. You can't mix two opposites. Not only two opposites, two things that are separate. That's a two plus two is four is its own world. Three plus three is six is its own world. The two will never meet, will never mix. There's no connection. Everything has its space. Heaven is heaven and hell is hell and... There's no mixing. There's no connection. It's like, it's like uh, fire and water. There's no, there's no connection. It's only in our world everything is mixed together. The material, the spiritual, the body and soul. Life is the ultimate miracle. How can you connect energy, spirit, soul, breath, life, with matter, with physical, with earth? And that's the miracle of life. It's a blending of two opposites that have no connection. Good and evil. So when we talk of space, in spiritual, of course, we don't mean a physical space. But we mean it's two different worlds. So the Kabbalists say, when they say that God removed himself, the infinite removed himself, doesn't mean physically God has physically removed himself. What they mean to say is that God created a physical world, a world that's limited, that's defined, a world of concepts, of ideas, of time and space, that's defined by words, by letters, by ideas, by concepts, by numbers, by concepts of time, past, present, future, time, space, up and down. That, that's the whole definition. That's our whole frame of reference. This whole entire world is, has no connection to the world of the infinite. The world of the infinite is infinite. Infinite is infinite. And this world, which is finite and limited, is finite and limited. The two have no connection. You can't say that God, the infinite light, fills this space. It's two different worlds. The two cannot connect. There's the world of the transcendent, which is the Ein Sof, the infinite. And then you have this physical, this limited world, which is defined by time and space and I and concepts, ideas, past, present, good and evil. These all, but then you have the infinite, which totally transcends this world. And the two worlds don't meet. They're two different realities. So when they say that Tzimtzum, that Kipshute, that God literally 
concentrated and removed his infinite light or removed himself, what they mean is that God is infinite, God is transcendent, and you can't say that God is in this space, fills this time, this space, this world. And the Hasidic argument is no. God does fill this space. The infinite, nothing changed. Just like God filled this circle, this space, before he created the world, there was no space empty of God. Not only of God, even of his infinite light, there was no space empty of his infinite projection. So too, even now when God did remove, so to speak, his light and had this radical quantum leap, this Simpson addition, the first Simpson, which created this quantum leap from infinite to finite and created the space that allowed for a finite world, even that, not literally, nothing changed. God is present. His infinite light is present. His infinite light fills all time and all space, like you said earlier. That the divine attribute of royalty, which is the source of all creation, which gives meaning to all creation, that's also inseparable from God. And God and His attribute are one. And just like God knows everything that exists, God is, everything is divine providence, God and His knowledge are one, so too, so God fills everything. Because He knows everything, He knows Himself. And he, he himself is everything. There's nothing else but God. Everything is really God. There's nothing else but God. And therefore, he fills all time and all space. Which is a very revolutionary concept. A concept that has tremendous implications. But before we get to the implications, the Mithnagdim, headed by the Vilna Goin, the Goin of Vilna, Someone here in the front. They probably think, yeah, maybe open the door. I was totally against this, was totally opposed, because. That one. Either one, either one you can open. You can open the other one, yeah, it doesn't matter. He was opposed, very strongly opposed to this, and the arguments they used it. Are you going to say that God, you can, you're going to find God in the, in the, in the garbage dump? You're going to find God, God in the... It's not respectful for God to say that God is found in a garbage dump or, or in a bathroom or in a house of idolatry or in a house of prostitutes. There's no space empty of God. God himself is present. Equally present, just like he's equally present, the Holy of Holies, you're going to say he's present in, 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 a, in a house of, of prostitution, in a house of idolatry, in a garbage dump, in a toilet, in a dirty place, in a polluted place, in an ugly place. Do we have a, a Tanya? Yeah. So therefore they said, it's not respectful. How can you say that God is found everywhere and equally? That from God's point of view, there is no difference between the Holy of Holies and every point of this world, every moment of time, every point of existence, every corner of this world, God is equally present, really, amongst barbarians, cannibals. God is equally present in prison as he is in a synagogue. So they, they vehemently rejected this whole concept. And 
Which is why, although the Alter Rebbe writes very strongly that they're making a very big mistake, because if you, logic tells us that just like there's no space empty of God, there's no space empty of God's knowledge. God and His knowledge are one. So if God's divine providence, if God knows everything and God and His knowledge are one and inseparable, therefore, yes, God is present everywhere. His essence is present everywhere. And they claim, no, God's presence is not everywhere. God forbid to say that God's presence is everywhere. That God's essence is to be found everywhere. And God is accessible everywhere. And that there is no difference between the Holy of Holies and the bathroom. That God is equally present in both. They say that God did remove himself, literally. He removed himself from this world. But they believe, they're Jews who believe, they believe in divine providence. But they believe that God is watching the world. Just like a king is sitting in his palace, and from his palace he's watching, he's watching his country. He has the TV screens and he's watching everything that's going on. He has the satellites and he's watching and he's keeping an eye on everything that's happening. It doesn't mean that he's in the mud, that he's out there in the streets. He's sitting in his palace, respectfully. But he sees and is engaged and involved in everything that's going on. So they believe in divine providence. They believe that God knows everything that's happening in this world. Down to the tiniest amoeba. And God knows all our secrets and God knows everything we're thinking. God knows everything that's going on. There's nothing that escapes God. But it doesn't mean that God is personally present everywhere. God is in his palace from a distance. God is infinite. God is essence. And from his essence, he sees and watches everything. The Alter Rebbe rejects this. He says, because it's not logical. Because if you say that God is watching, you can't separate God from his watching, God from his knowledge. God and his knowledge are one, as Maimonides says. They're inseparable. So if God knows everything, God's essence is present there. And therefore, his essence fills everything. Everything is truly infinite. As modern physics has, has revealed, that if you go deep down to the core of reality, you'll discover that even the tiniest atom is really infinite. It's a reflection of the infinite. It's more complex than all of the galaxies put together. Because everything is really made up of the substance of the infinite. God is everywhere. The infinite is everywhere. There is no difference. There isn't a single cell in this world. There isn't a single point of reality. There isn't a single moment in time. There isn't a single human being, a single event, a single moment or experience that isn't permeated with the infinite. Nothing changed. Just we don't see it. That's what changed. Our perception changed. To us it appears that there's an empty space and we don't see godliness, we're not conscious of godliness and therefore we live in a very limited frame of reference of time and space and five senses which is extremely limited. Our whole frame of reality is so limited it's almost... It's, it's, it's like a drop in the ocean taking a drop of the ocean and removing it from the ocean. Which, of course, is a very, not only limited, a very limited perspective. Because the truth is, <coughs> it's only when you take the drop of the ocean and you remove it from the ocean that you look at it as a drop, it's a drop. But when the drop of the ocean is in the ocean, there's no drop. It's inseparable from the whole ocean can't even find the drop of ocean. It's nothing. When you take the drop out of the ocean, you can concentrate on the drop, you can focus on the drop, you can describe the drop of water, you can measure it, you can weigh it, you can... 
But when the drop of the ocean is in the ocean, you can't even find the drop. There's no drop. It's, it's inseparable. It's part of this huge ocean, which is infinite compared to the drop. I can't even find the drop. You look for the drop. Where's the drop? I don't see a drop. So our whole perspective of reality, time, space, concepts, ideas, numbers, our whole frame of reference, five senses, is like literally looking at reality, taking the drop of the ocean out of the ocean. And we're dissecting it, and we're defining it, and we're limiting it, and we're describing it. It's, it's, it's beyond, it's, it's, it has no reflection of reality. The truth is that all of reality is a drop of the ocean within the ocean. Within God, this whole, whole reality is like a drop of the ocean when it's within the ocean. So, so he doesn't even see it. Where is this drop? He can't even find it. Time, space, I, ego, separation, beings, worlds, levels. All there is is God. You can't even find the world. It's not there. Not that, it, not that it's an illusion. But, but it's not what we think it is. Just like the drop of the ocean. When you take the drop and you remove the drop from the ocean, you see a drop. You have a name for it. You can describe it. You can relate to it. But when the drop, that same drop is within the ocean, you can't even find the drop. What drop? When drop? I, I, what drop? It's an ocean. I don't see any drop. So when you remove the world from God, so to speak, and all you see, when God hides himself, <coughs> and the infinite is contracted, symptom, and is hidden and concealed, and all you see is that empty space, that frame of reference, then suddenly it emerges. You see time and space and limits and concepts, and therefore the whole world as we know it. But if you see it from the real perspective, if you see it as part of the infinite, what world, when world, what time, what space? What, e what I, what ego, what person, what individual, what angel, what are you talking about? All there is is God. All there is is infinite. There's nothing else. So the symptom is only our perception. That God hides and we don't see it. So we're not conscious of it. Therefore we become aware of self, we become aware of time, we become aware of space, we become aware of concepts. And our whole frame of reference of five senses, which is extremely limiting. We can't imagine a sixth sense, a seventh sense, an eighth sense. It's impossible. Try describing a blind person who's born blind what sight is like. It's impossible. You can't, understand, you can't grasp something that you don't have. God is limited to five senses. He could have made ten senses. He could have made a hundred senses. But we can't even think of a sixth sense, a sense that's beyond... Like, imagine you're an artist, a creative person. Add something like an ear or a nose. Think of something. You can. What, what are you going to think of? The more senses we have, the more limited we are. This is just one more thing to define. Okay. To define but but even, even within the world of definition, look how limited we are. It's so limited, we can't even think outside of the box. We can't even imagine something beyond. Because this is our whole frame of reference. It's like a drop of the ocean from the ocean removed from the ocean, which is already an inaccurate, distorted perception of the reality because the drop of the ocean is not out of the ocean. It's part of the ocean. And when it's part of the ocean, I don't even see a drop. So that's the meaning of tzimtzum. Tzimtzum is not literal. Nothing changes from the, from the ocean's perspective, from God's perspective. The infinite is here. Everything is infinite. Everything has infinite and then everything has God in it. There's no space empty of God. Every, every moment in time, every space... 
even what, even what to us is evil, even what to us, God is everywhere. We don't understand it, but God is everywhere. There's no space empty of God. It's only our consciousness. We don't see it. We don't sense it. We are like the aborigine. Imagine the aborigine walking into a hospital. And he sees ten men and women in white coats taking a helpless person, tying him to the bed, taking out sharp knives and cutting him open. An operation. From his point of view, what's going on? A bunch of murderers, cold-blooded murderers, taking a helpless person, tying him to a bed and cutting him up. He has no idea, he can't even begin to conceive that these people are the most merciful, they're doing the kindest act in the universe, they're saving a person's life. He, he simply doesn't see that. He can't see the whole picture. So when we say we find God in everything because we don't see what appears to us to be evil and negative, really from a higher perspective, everything, every, there's, a, there's a bigger picture that we simply cannot see. But God is everywhere. There's no space empty of God. The symptom is not literal. The infinite is here. The infinite is in everything that exists. This is the Hasidic approach. The opponents were very opposed to it. The opponents said, no, God forbid. How can you say that God is everywhere? God is in the toilet. God is in the ugly, disgusting, dirty place. God's presence is equal in the Holy of Holies as well in, as on, on, on Park Avenue. I mean, there's no difference. But the Alter Rebbe does not call them, as in chapter 2, he called them heretics, those who deny divine providence. Because again, these are not Jews who deny divine providence. These are Jews who believe in God. And although the Alter Rebbe is asking a very logical question and a logical proof that the tzimtzum is not literal, that God's infinite presence permeates all of reality, even after the tzimtzum, there is no change. The only change is from our perspective that all we see now is it's as if God removed the ocean and all we're left with is with the drop. Of course, it's not the reality. The reality is the, the drop of the ocean never left the ocean. But it's an imagine, imagine as if the ocean disappeared and all there is is a drop and all we're left is with a drop and we're describing it and dissecting it and that's our reality. While in truth, the drop of the ocean never left the ocean and the ocean sees, sees that, that there, all there is is an ocean, there is no drop. So it, the symptom is not literal, it's just we don't see it, we don't perceive the truth, but the ocean does perceive it, the infinite light perceives that reality and nothing changed. The drop is really, really part of something infinite. So although the Alter Rebbe brings a logical proof for that position because how can you say that God removed himself literally that God's infinite light that something has changed that God's infinite light transcendent present is no longer present in this physical coarse materialistic world nevertheless these were great rabbis who believed that symptom is literally that God literally removed himself from physical world and the Alter Rebbe does not call them heretics you know you're talking about the Vilna Goyen you're talking about the other and great Kabbalists because they were coming from a position of faith they, their counter argument to the Alter Rebbe would be yes it's true what you're saying is very logical not only human logic but Torah logic 
Torah logic tells us that God and his wisdom are one, God and his knowledge are one. So if you believe in divine providence, that God is sitting in his palace, so to speak, and is watching everything that's going on, if he's watching, him and his watching are inseparable, so then God is present. Not just his gaze is, is, reaches every corner of the universe, but the, God and his gaze are inseparable, so God himself reaches every corner of the universe. God and his knowledge are one. If you believe in divine providence, that God knows and is aware of every single thing that's happening in this world, every thought that you have, everything registers within God, God knows everything and responds to everything as the 13 principles of faith. So then God and his knowledge are one and inseparable. So God himself is present in everything. That is a logical question, a Torah logic. But God is beyond questions. We're talking about the infinite. The essence of God, the infinite, the infinite projection of God. So you can ask a logical question on God. God created logic and he created mind. So you can't ask a logical question. God could do anything. God is not limited. So out of respect, they said, out of respect, it would make more sense to say that God is sitting in his palace, just like a, a physical king. Everything in this world is a metaphor to God. So God gave us a metaphor, a king is not physically present in his whole, his whole land. He sits in his palace, and from his palace he gazes and he's knowledgeable and is aware of everything that happens in his country. So God is sitting respectfully in his palace, in a transcendent state, and he looks and observes what's going on in this, in this world, which a good portion of this world is, like a, is very negative. But he's aware, he's not present, but he's aware. And they would maybe even say, Take it a step further. They would say, they may even argue, it's not necessarily so, but they may even argue with the other point, which is the whole point of this part of the Tanya. The whole part of Tanya is based on the idea in chapter 2, chapter 1 and chapter 2, that creation is ongoing. God constantly creates this world. Because if for one moment God would stop creating this world, this world would cease to exist. Creation is not a one-time event. 5,765 years ago, God created the world, and then the world is running on its own. It's not like a human being. When you create something, you fix something, you create something, and then you can leave. But God, He can't just create something and, and then leave, so to speak. God has to constantly create and be engaged and be involved because if for one moment God would cease creating, it would cease to exist because creation is an ongoing miracle. They might argue, no, on the contrary. It would be more respectful to God to say that if a human being could create something and walk away from it and it could last on its own, wouldn't it be respectful to God that God can create a world and God empowered the world. God is so infinite that he has the power to create something from nothing. They believe in something from nothing. But God could create something from nothing and then imbue it with such power that it can last for the next 6,000 years. It could go on its own. And then God can sit from a distance, so to speak, from his transcendent perch, heavenly perch, transcendent infinite perch, and watch what's going on, and engage what's going on, and cares what's going on, and responds to what's going on. But he's not, doesn't get in the nitty-gritty. God is not present. He's not in the toilet. He's not in the bathroom. He's not in the, in the, in the dirty place. That would be more respectful to God. Although it's not logical, logic dictates that God must create the world every moment, as Alter Rebbe pointed out so eloquently in chapter 2, that creation, something from nothing, is not like a human being, the artist. The artist can walk away because he never created the vessel. He just revealed a form or shape. 
So you can walk away. But since God creates something from nothing, if God would stop creating, it would revert back to nothing. So it's a constant, ongoing miracle that life triumphs over disease, that, 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 organ, that uh, order triumphs over chaos, that existence triumphs over nothingness, is nothing short of a miracle, and it's an ongoing miracle, and God has to force creation into existence each and every moment, because it's a novelty, it's something new, it's unpredictable, it's something that makes no sense. So that's a logical argument. But again, you can't force God into a straitjacket. You can't force God into logical arguments. God created logic, he's not bound by logic. He created the whole world of logic. He's not bound by logic. So when you're talking about God, you're talking about his essence, you're talking about the infinite, God is not limited. Even though it's illogical to us, God could have created the world something from nothing, and yet, illogically, God could have created the world should last on its own. And that's more respectful to God. He has to constantly, every second, he creates something that's so weak, that's so dependent, that every single moment he must constantly breathe new life into it, must constantly recreate it. It's much more respectful to say that God created the world and it's, and it's running on its own. But it's not necessarily so. It's not necessarily so that those who argue that the symptom is not literally that they will also argue that God is not creating the world each and every moment. Because as we learn in chapter 1, this whole concept that the creation is ongoing is based on the Midrash. It's not something that originates from the Balshamta, from the founder of the Hasidic movement. It's actually a Midrash. The Midrash says on Tehillim, La'olam, Tehillim it says, La'olam Hashem devarcha nitzabashamayin, that God's words are constantly in heaven that the words with which God created the world, the beginning of creation, are constantly, God is constantly speaking. So it's hard to say that the rabbis are going to argue with a clear midrash from the Talmudic rabbis. So it seems that even they could agree that the world is ongoing. God is creating the world every moment. But nevertheless, God is not creating the world with his essence. His essence remains respectfully distant, transcendent, in the palace. But God's energy, God's strength, is constantly creating the world something from nothing. Every moment. But symptom is not literal. There's the world of the transcendent, the infinite, and then there's the world, the limited, finite, limited world. And there are implications to these two philosophies. This would explain the whole Hasidic approach to life versus the Misnagdic approach to life. Those who were opposed to the Hasidic. To the Misnagdic approach to life, where can a Jew find God? There's only one place a Jew can find God. Through studying Torah. In the shul. Praying. Mitzvot. Through holy things. The only way to connect with God is through holy things. Torah, mitzvot divine things. And what should be a person's focus? A person's focus should be shun the world because the world is an ugly, disgusting place. And the only redeeming factor of the world is studying of Torah, doing mitzvot. Because this is a world that God removed himself from this world. Why would I be engaged in the world where God removed himself from the world. My only purpose in life is to connect with the divine. 
And the only way I can connect with the divine is, the only place I can find God is Torah and Mitzvah. While the Hasidic approach, which is based on the idea that symptom, the contraction, the initial contraction, this radical quantum leap that happened at the beginning, is not literal. That God's metaphysical presence permeates all of reality, every moment in time and every point in reality and every one of us and every single event and every single point. There's no space empty of God. God's essence remains and is personally involved in creation. That creation, something from nothing, involves God's essence. Only God has the power to create something from nothing because God has no beginning and therefore reality is invested with God's essence. This approach teaches us that God is everywhere. We can find God everywhere. Not only when we're studying Torah, not only when we're doing mitzvot, but every moment of our lives. God is with us in the business. God is with us every moment of our lives. Everything that we're doing, we are connected. We are, we are as emissaries. We are as ambassadors. And our mission is to reveal His essence in every part of this world. To reveal how His essence permeates every ounce of creation, every ounce of being, every experience. There isn't a space empty of God. A Jew's mission is to connect every aspect of this world with God. To reveal God's reality in everything. Which is why the Torah is all-encompassing. There isn't a single human experience that the Torah does not deal with, shed light on. Because God is everywhere. God's infinite is in everywhere. The Torah helps us reveal it. The Jew, through Torah, reveals God's reality in all of existence. Every moment of existence. We are equally connected. Not just on Yom Kippur, on the holy day, when, we're, when we enter into the holy of holies, when we're all dressed in white and we're angels. But even on a Wednesday afternoon, we're going about our business, Madison Avenue. God is with us, 100%. His infinite self, His essence is with us, totally present and with us. We may not be as conscious of, of that connection as we are on Yom Kippur, or on Shabbat, or on a holiday. Of course, then you're more conscious. But the reality is God is everywhere. Just like God is present in the Holy of Holies, there's a space in this world which is Holy of Holies, which is a holy presence. The truth is, every point of this world is really a Holy of Holies. But we have to reveal it. A Jew, through Torah and Mitzvah, a Jew who's connected is able to connect all of reality. And that's why a Jew's mission is to elevate all of the sparks that exist in this world. Everything he come in contact with, the Jew has to elevate and bring back to its source. We have to utilize everything that God created in this world. We have to utilize humor. You have to utilize storytelling. You have to utilize radio, internet. Tele- everything that God created in this world must be utilized for Hashem. Because God's infinite presence is found in everything. And modern physics has vindicated the Baal Shem Tov's approach, the truth of the Baal Shem Tov's approach, that the truth is deep down, everything is really divine. Everything is infinite. We have discovered that the, the tiniest is just as inf- is a reflection of the infinite, just like all the infinite stars and galaxies. We have discovered when you go down to the 
electromagnetic level of, of reality, you discover the paradox, the impossible paradox of reality, where, where it appears as particles, as, ray, as uh, waves at the same time, which is a paradoxical reality. Because the core and essence of all reality is truly divine and paradoxical and infinite and beyond human definition and description. Because we are truly the drop of the ocean while we're still in the ocean. And the, dig the deeper we, di we dig, we reveal and we discover that we never left the ocean. <laughs> we're still part of the ocean. And we're really, really infinite. That's the whole theory of relativity. That all of science today is just relative. It's a relative, limited, finite description, human description, describing the drop of the ocean, removing it from the ocean, when it's, it's not an absolute, objective description, because absolutely and objectively you cannot remove the drop of the ocean from the ocean. Reality is infinite. Reality is indescribable. So we're, with our poor minds, with our limited, finite minds, which can only think in terms of five senses and concepts and time and space, we're trying to describe something that's inherently beyond descriptions, inherently infinite. That's the understanding of science today. So science understands when you get to the deep down, when you get to the core, the essence, you discover everything is really a reflection of the infinite. The infinite is everywhere. There's no cell, there's no space that's empty, empty of God. This is the Hasidic understanding with all the implications. Now if, if the Misnagdim and the early Kabbalists who interpreted that the symptom is not literal have a point of view and a very strong point of view because you cannot ask logical questions on God. God is beyond logic. You can't straightjacket God into logic because God is infinite. God is beyond logic. God created logic. He's not bound by the rules and laws of logic. So you can't say, well, God cannot literally remove himself. God can do anything. You can't say that God cannot create something that can last on its own. God must constantly create the world. You can't. God mustn't do anything. And yet the whole, this whole section of the Tanya is based on logical proofs. Torah logic. A Torah logic tells us since God and His gaze and God and His knowledge are one, they're inseparable. So if God's knowledge permeates all of reality, God is aware of every presence of everything to the tiniest amoeba. So if God is aware, God and His awareness are inseparable. I mean, God's essence is presence in every corner of the universe. In time, in space, there's no space empty of God. That's a logical argument. And Alter Rebbe proves logically and based on the Midrash that God is constantly creating the world. Every moment, if God would cease creating the world, the world would revert back to nothing. If we just said you can't bring logical proofs when it comes to God. So how can the Rebbe base his whole philosophy, his whole approach to life based on a logical question? And based on this question, he calls them that they made a mistake and how ridiculous it is for them to say that the Simpson is literal. How can you say that God, that it's literal? And he, and he goes along to bring all these logical proofs. He can't say it's literal. When it comes to God, you can't bring logical proofs. And the answer is, if they would have argued that it's a question of faith, out of faith of God, out of respect for God, we're saying that God is sitting in the palace, so to speak, and he's gazing at the world, and he's watching the world, and he's controlling the world, and he's in charge of the world, but he doesn't get messy with the nitty-gritty of this physical, coarse, material world. He remains aloof, so to speak. He's transcendent. 
on faith we can't argue. But they are bringing a logical argument. Their argument is, how can you logically say that God, God is in the toilet? That God's essence is found in an ugly, disgusting place, in a house of idol worship, in a house of prostitution? That God is equally present in the Holy of Holies as He is, as he is in, every, in, in every space in this world? He says, if you want to argue a logic, what you're saying makes no logical sense. Because what are you saying? That God is here and His knowledge is there? That's also against the Torah. How can any Jew say that? God and His knowledge are one and inseparable. So if God's presence, if His knowledge is everywhere, He is everywhere. That's irrefutable logic. So if you're coming with logic, your logic makes no sense. But the truth is, why does the Alter Rebbe, why does the Alter Rebbe accept this position? that the tzimtzum is not literal, with all the implications that follow from this philosophical understanding, from this reality. Because he heard this from his teacher, Rabbi Dovber, who heard it from the Baal Shem Tov, who heard it from Achi Ashiloini, who was at present at Mount Sinai, from Elijah the prophet. He heard it directly from, from the source. So they knew that this was the truth. It's not the logical arguments that compel the Rebbe to take on this position. On the contrary, I can argue logically it's more respectful for God to say that he's not, he's not here, literally, in all the schmutz and the dirt of this world. But the Al-Tarebi received this from his teachers. And once he received it, he's explaining it logically. What's the foundation of this? Since God is not limited, what is, what is the reason? Why did God do it this way? He could have done it the other way. Why did God do the tzimtzum not literally, as the Hasidic explanation is, and this is the truth, this is the reality, as modern physics has proved, maybe he could have done it the other way. That he would have removed his infinite self. You would not find the infinite in the physical world. You would find physical, finite, limited. I wouldn't discover the infinite in every aspect of the physical world. Why did God have to do it this way? So of course God didn't have to do anything. But we know that God wanted to do Everything in a, in a logical way. Because God wanted us human beings to be able to relate to God. Once you reach a place where there's no questions and there's no logic and there's no definitions and God is infinite and God is undefined, then we have no way of relating to God. We are absolutely nothing. We don't exist. We're insignificant. We have no way to relate to God. God, out of His infinite love for us, like the analogy... Rabbi Dovber, the Magad of Mezrich, gives like a parent. Einstein wants to communicate with his baby, with his little child, infant child. So what's he going to do? He's going to start speaking to him about the, the theory of relativity. <laughs> the baby will start crying. So Einstein gets on all four and starts playing horsey with the kid and ooing and eyeing and tickling him and rolling on the ground. Someone would walk in. He would see this, this is Einstein rolling on the ground like a, like a, like a baby. Did Einstein, is Einstein affected? No, he remains the same Einstein. Even while he's rolling and ooing and eyeing and acting like a baby. But he's communicating. He wants to communicate with his, with his infant, with his child. So out of his love for his child, he's entering into his world. And he's, he's concentrating himself into that world. So it's to God that of his infinite wisdom, love for us. If God remains transcendent, undefined, infinite, then there's no connection. We, we, don't even, we don't even have anywhere to begin. There's no, there's, no point, there's no point of contact. 
God, out of His infinite love for us, wants to talk to us, wants to communicate with us. So the Torah speaks the language of man. God, so to speak, concentrated Himself in the ten spherot. Suddenly you can talk about God's wisdom, God's knowledge, God's gaze, God's hearing, God's seeing, God's love, God's compassion, God's royalty. God is not royalty, God is not love, God is not wisdom, God is undefined. But out of His infinite love for us, God contracted Himself and defined Himself in, in, the, in a language that we can discuss. We, can't, we don't understand divine love because it's infinite. We don't understand divine wisdom because it's infinite. But we can relate to wisdom because we have a little wisdom. So we, we, we know wisdom. Ah, oh, wisdom. We know what love is. We know what compassion is. We know what world. So we have some language. So God is ooing and eyeing and God is talking our baby talk. But we're communicating. So God wanted everything to be logical. Not that God is limited or straightjacketed by logic. It must be that way. It's only God out of His infinite wisdom created the world in such a way that it should, it should also make sense in a logical way. And therefore, since God wa- we know that God wanted everything to be logical, so logic dictates that God must create the world each and every moment. The world would cease to exist in a split second as if it never existed, if God wouldn't cancel, recreate the world this very moment. Logic dictates that God is His essence, His infinite presence, His infinite light, projection is present in every cell of the universe, in every, every moment of time, in every point of existence, of space, in every one of us, in every event, just like He's present in the Holy of Holies in Jerusalem, in the Temple Mount, in the Holy of Holies, His, His essence is present in every single point right here in the Upper East Side just as well. Even though we don't feel it, we're not aware of it, we're not conscious of it, but that's the reality. God's essence permeates all of reality. His transcendent, infinite self permeates every aspect. And He's found it even in evil. He's found in every... There's no space empty of God. Yes, even in the bathroom. We don't understand how, but that's the way it is. This could be the explanation why in chapter 2, if you remember, the Rebbe brings a proof. He brings a proof that creation is ongoing. Creation is each and every moment. And he brings a proof from the splitting of the sea. Although to the atheists, it's not a proof because he doesn't believe that God creates the world every moment. He doesn't believe in, the, in this miracle of the splitting of the sea. It was high tide or low tide. But the, the, he brings that as a proof. That we find that the miracle of the splitting of the sea came about because there was a, a, a God brought a wind from the east that blew all night. And that caused the sea to split open. And the moment the wind stopped, after the Jews crossed, the waters went back to its nature. So the Rebbe says, if you think the splitting of the sea is a miracle, because water flows, water doesn't stand like a wall. So God had to change. He didn't, he, the water was water. It didn't change the, the reality of the water. But he changed the nature of the water. Instead of water flowing, he made a miracle and he changed that the water should stand erect like a stone. And that's an unbelievable miracle. And yet, in order to sust- God had to sustain that miracle. It's not like God changed the water. He could have changed the nature of water. And from that moment on, water stands. Why did there have to be a wind, a constant wind blowing all night? Because since it's against the nature of water, if you want to change nature, you have to have a force that's constantly changing that nature. For example, you take a ball and you throw it in the air. 
going against nature, against the laws of gravity. The force that pushed the ball ends, the ball reverts back to its nature. So the Al-Tarebi is bringing a proof that when you go against nature, you have to have a force that forces it to go against its nature. The moment that force ceases, the nature returns back to its natural states. So too with the water. In order to force the water to go against its nature, the water had to, the water, there had to be a wind, a wind from the east that was constantly, constantly pushing the water, splitting the sea. And the moment, the moment that the water, the wind seized, the water reverted back to its nature. Now, the Rebbe says, if you think the splitting of the sea is a miracle, the splitting of the sea is a miracle. The fact that there is a cup of water is a miracle. It's a greater miracle. Because this is something from nothing. Not only is it a question of changing a nature, a nature of the ball going against its nature of being, uh, of being stationary, or going against the force of gravity, or the nature of water, instead of nature flow, water flowing, the water should stand erect, the nature is non-existence. That's the nature. The law of entropy. Everything should be reduced to absolute nothingness. Chaos. Nothingness. And the fact that something exists, that there is a cup of water, that all the molecules are perfectly together, put together. You know what kind of miracle it is? Science says that the, the probabilities of life in any other planet is zil to, zero, is, is, is zil to nothing. It's impossible. You know how many factors it takes to be able to produce life in this world? If anything was off by a fraction, there's such a perfect balance that mathematically, computer, if, they, if you compute it, it's impossible. Take billions and trillions and zillions of it just doesn't make any sense. It's a miracle. The fact that we are able to exist and the fact that we have water and we have air, everything is perfectly matched. If the sun were to drop hotter or the ozone layer were to drop this, it, it would all, we would all cease to exist. It couldn't, life could not be sustained. The fact that there's life in this world mathematically makes no sense. It, it, it's almost one, one, in, one out of infinite. It's a miracle. So the fact that anything should exist Everything should be so perfect. Everything should be, is, is a miracle. And you need a force to constantly create this miracle. It's not something you take for granted. Oh, it just is. Mother Nature. That's silly. That's foolish. That's childish. What Mother Nature? If to change the nature of the water, you needed a force to force the water all night. And the moment the force ceased, the water reverted back to its natural nature, which is to flow and drown the Egyptians. If when you throw a ball, as long as the moment... The energy, the force behind the ball ceases. The ball reverts back to its natural state, stationary state, that, that there should be water altogether, that anything should exist. You need a force, the divine energy, the creative energy to constantly create. As the modern physics says, this table, what is this table? It's an ongoing process each and every moment. The atoms are transforming itself this very moment as we speak into the table. We don't see that process. We're blind. We're wearing blinders. We don't see but the truth is, what is this table? It's all energy. Matter is energy. It's a dynamic, vibrant process, an infinite process that's happening as we speak that's transforming matter into energy. And the moment that process ceases, this table disappears. There's no table. What table? What table? This table is 99.9.9.9% empty. The deeper you go into the atom, you can't even find anything. There's nothing there. It's all empty. It's just the whirling that Whatever is there, just whirling around so quickly, it gives the appearance of solidity. I mean, so our whole vision, our whole perspective is so, 
It's very seductive, but it, it's, it's not the true nature of what's really going on. We don't see. We have blinders. So the moment that process stops, the moment the force, the energy that creates everything, brings everything into existence would stop, everything would, would, would revert back to nothing. There's no table, there's no chair, there's nothing. Its whole reality is the divine energy that's creating it this and every moment. It's a process. Creation is an ongoing process. Why is the Rebbe bringing this proof? Especially if you're trying to convince atheists. Atheists don't, don't believe in creation, and they don't believe in creation, ongoing creation, surely not. And they don't believe in, 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 in the miracle of the splitting of the sea. So you bring a proof in the Bible to prove that. Dr. Rebbe is not bringing a proof to prove. To the atheists, there are no answers. To the believer, there are no questions. Dr. Rebbe is bringing a proof from Torah that you see that God works in a logical way. Why did God have to make a, 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 a wind to constantly. All night long, the wind should cause the splitting of the sea. Why couldn't God have created, in the beginning of the night, for this night, water is going to stand, and walk away, so to speak? As we said, the closest that we get to creation is when you create something in your mind. Imagine you're, you're daydreaming, you're imagining, you're creating something in your thoughts. You are the creator. It's your world, you're creating. It's all in your head. In your world, you can do whatever you want. In your world, water can flow. If you decide in your imagination that water is going to stand up, it's going to fly up, water will fly up. If you decide that sands become daggers, as it did in Abraham, he threw the sand and he won the war, because miraculously the sand that he threw became daggers and spears, in your mind you can do anything. And that's the closest we get to creation. People wonder, how do I believe in miracles? Come on, it's not scientific, it's not logical, it's not rational. What do you mean how you, believe in, how you can believe in miracles? The whole world is being created. We exist in God's mind. Nature is a miracle. The fact that there's a glass of water is only because God is thinking about this glass of water this very moment, and He wants this glass of water. The fact that I'm walking is only because God is thinking about it this very moment. Otherwise, there's, there's no walking, there's no talking, there's nothing. So for, if, if, just like if when we imagine, I can do whatever I want. When you create a personality in your mind, in your imagination, you have to give birth to them, and you have to diaper them, and you have to walk them through school. No, in your mind, suddenly, the person's full grown, they're 20 years old, they're 30 years old, whatever you want. God created Adam. No, what do you mean? Out of nowhere, suddenly Adam is here. A 20-year-old man is here. Chava, a mature woman, suddenly appears. Yes, I mean, God could do anything. No, God had to take billions of years, and he had to wait for coals to come. What billion? What God doesn't... The whole world is, is, is just out of God's imagination. There is nothing else. All there is is God. We exist within God. So who says, and therefore, since God creates every moment, he can do anything. So if God wants the sea to split, the sea splits. If God decides that water is going to stand, water stands. Why did God have to create the world in a way, the miracle that the, the wind had to blow all night? This is what Al Rebbe is trying to bring out. To the believer, he's talking to those rabbis, those early Kabbalists who misinterpreted the Arizal, who said that the Timtum is literally. He says, look, you see from the Torah, God could have done it. God didn't need a wind to blow all night. God could have decided in the beginning of the night, the water will stand and the water stands. The whole existence of water is only because God is thinking about it this very moment. So if God decides that for this night water will stand, of course, why do you need a wind to blow it? But God wanted to work in a logical way. Because since God created logic, He wants to relate to us. He wants us to be able to relate to Him. 
This is our frame of reference. We think in terms of logic. That's the only frame of reference we have. Time, space, concepts, logic. So God wanted, even when he does a miracle, which is transcendent, which is divine and miraculous, he wants to do it in a, in a way that makes sense logically. So this makes sense to us. When you change nature, you, have to, you need a force that constantly, constantly forces the change. So to change the nature of water, that God created, the water should flow. Instead, water should stand. God needed the force all night, and he needed But that's how he made it, that the force should all night force the water to stand. So two, also creation, which is a divine miracle. Only God has the power to create suddenly out of nowhere, something from nothing. Time, space, concept, this whole world out of nothing, out of the infinite. Something that doesn't exist in its source. God also created it in a logical way. He created it in a way which only makes sense that God, there has to be a force. The divine creative energy must constantly create and exist and constantly bring it into existence. And the same is with the tzimtzum. Yes, God could have created tzimtzum literally. That the transcendent is in a different space spiritually than this physical, coarse, materialistic, dark world. But God didn't create the world that way. Because he created the world in a logical way. And logic tells us that if God's gaze is everywhere and God's knowledge is everywhere, and God and His gauge are inseparable, then God is here. His essence is here. His presence, His infinite light permeates all of reality. Even though we don't see it, we just see the drop of the ocean outside of the ocean. Miraculously, the ocean has been removed. We don't see the ocean, but the truth is the ocean hasn't been removed. This, this drop, this whole world, our whole frame of reference, time, space, everything that we know is really still part of the ocean. And therefore, it's infinite. It's not what we think it is. So we can find the infinite in everything. And the modern physicist has found the infinite in everything, in the tiniest. Because the truth is, there is no Timson. It's not literal. Of course there was a Timson, but it's not literal. It's only for our perception that there is a Timson. A few questions. I just, one of them was, so what happens when we pray? You see, God is working in logical ways. So things happen in a way that we can understand them, even if they seem to be contrary to what we are used to expect. So I guess that's one part of it, something that's miraculous. But the other thing was, God is present everywhere. God's directing things. We also have free will. But again, what happens when, when we pray? How does that affect okay, what so, God's yeah. doing? So that, that's, really, that's really the most beautiful part, because prayer reveals how God is everywhere. When you have the trust in Hashem, prayer is based on trust. When you have that faith, and that trust in Hashem, and that confidence that Hashem could change realities, that Hashem could perform miracles, and you pray to Hashem, you are finding the infinite inside of you. You're revealing the Hashem inside of you. So the human being, according to the Hasidic approach, that symptom is not literally, the human being plays a very vital role. Because we reveal the infinite. It's when we bring Hashem into our consciousness and we meditate on Hashem and we pray, Hasidim placed a tremendous emphasis on prayer. Because it's when, when you in prayer become conscious of Hashem and trust Hashem and find the, the hope and the faith, you are revealing the infinite. You are showing that Hashem's infinite is everywhere. Hashem is not just transcendent and the palace, distant, remote, cold. Hashem is within me. You reveal the infinite inside of you. The Alter Rebbe, whose father was actually a, a hidden chassid of the Baal Shem Tov, but the Baal Shem Tov ordered him that he should not reveal his identity to his own son. 
says he has to come to Hasidism on his own. And when he was 15 years old, Vashemta passed away. He was like 16, 17 years old. He was a brilliant genius, surpassed all of his peers and even his elders. And he thought to himself, he says, the two centers of Jewish life in Eastern Europe. One is Vilna, the guy in the Vilna, who's a Talmudic genius, the genius of his day. And the other one was Mizrich, who was the, the second leader of the Hasidic movement after the Bashamta passed away. And he said, his learning, I know a little how to learn. But the daven, the pray, I don't know anything yet about prayer. Not to my satisfaction. So the Alter Rebbe went to Mizrich. And it's a whole story, and then, of course, the rest is history. So prayer, the emphasis on prayer, the Misnagi didn't emphasize prayer. You do it, you have to legally, technically, you pray and go back to the, go back to the Talmud. The Chassid spent hours praying, meditating, reflecting, studying the Tanya, studying, trying to understand the unity of God, trying to understand all these concepts, internalizing it, integrating it. Because that's how you reveal the infinite inside of you. And when you reveal the infinite inside of you, in your consciousness, when you bring God into your consciousness, and you reveal it, your conscious mind begins to sense the infinite. And you reveal your love and your trust and your hope and your faith in prayer to Hashem. You reveal godliness within the world, because the whole world is in our heart. We are a microcosm of the world. When you reveal Hashem in your consciousness, in your mind, you are revealing the infinite within the whole world. You make the world a godly place, a more refined place, a more elevated place, a beautiful place, a good place, a wholesome place. It's all enough. So if the godliness within our soul remains hidden and there's no emphasis on prayer and there's no prayer, and godliness remains hidden in the world, and the world remains a dark place, a hostile place, an alien place, a very unfriendly place. But the more you reveal the infinite in your consciousness, and your consciousness begins to sense and to intimate the infinite, and you feel a warmth and an intimacy and a connection with Hashem in prayer, which is the whole purpose of prayer. You should love God with all your heart and all your soul, with every fiber of your being and every bone in your body. You are inspired. Prayer is a time to be inspired, to be moved, to be transformed, to be changed then you transform the world around you. Because what happens in your heart will impact the whole world. That's the whole, this, that's the whole gateway, this whole second seg uh, section of the Tanya, the gate of unity and faith. Because when you and al Rebbe is all proving it logically, he's trying to get the mind to understand all these concepts, the infinite, the unity of God, the absolute unity of God, there's no, nothing else but God because the more the mind understands it the more you bring it into your consciousness and the more you integrate it into your life and you live your life accordingly you live with Hashem's presence every moment of the day with every aspect of your life you feel and you sense Hashem's presence you reveal Hashem's presence in the world and you make this world into a godly place you reveal the infinite, you uncover the infinite that, that exists that permeates all of reality until ultimately Mashiach will come, when the Jew will accomplish his mission, and each and every one of us will reveal the infinite now portion of this world. The world will emerge as a friendly place, as a wholesome place, as a garden of Eden, as a house to Hashem. Hashem says, I feel at home in this world. It's not a jungle. It doesn't have to be a jungle. It doesn't have to be a brutish, nasty, ugly, disgusting, 
self-absorbed house of lies. It doesn't have to be that way. It could be a beautiful, genuine, profound, meaningful, relevant, uplifting, wholesome place. And that's the mission of a Jew. The act of eating becomes a wholesome act. Your table becomes a mezbeach, an altar. I'm not just eating because I'm hungry and I'm a pig and I'm eating. I'm eating. I'm, this is part of my connection with Hashem. I'm elevating the food. I'm using this energy to do good things. Everything in life becomes meaningful, uplifted, inspired, wholesome. And that all comes from prayer. Prayer is the connection. Without prayer, there's no connection. Because God remains hidden, but it's not part of your consciousness. You need time to focus. You need time to meditate. You need time to think about it, to, to, med to, to concentrate. Allow it to sink in. Allow it. And then you become inspired and moved and elevated. So that is the whole purpose of prayer. Prayer is this whole point. By you, the human being, praying to God, you're revealing God. You're revealing God's infinite. And then, of course, your prayers are answered. Because when you reveal the infinite, all the infinite blessings also become manifest. When you manifest God, through prayer, through trust, through hope, through faith, through moving, soul-stirring prayer, tears, cry. You manifest God in your soul and you manifest God in your life. God's infinite blessings also become manifest and miraculous blessings become manifest. So you're not really affecting God, you're just revealing? Of course you're affecting God. You're affecting God's essence because you're revealing God's... God's if God's... God's infinite self could only remain hidden. It cannot be manifest. That affects God. You are affecting God because you're revealing God's truth. That God's truth is not just in the heaven above. God's truth, nothing changed. You're revealing God's truth in the space, in the circle, in the empty space. It appears to be empty of Him. You're revealing His infinite presence there, in the time, in the space, in your consciousness. You fill your life with God. You're not emptying your life. It's not like Eastern meditation where the goal in life is nirvana, empty your life, empty your mind, empty your thoughts. A Jew fills your mind, fills your consciousness, fills your thoughts, fill your speech, fill your action, fill your daily life with godliness, with holiness, with awareness, with presence, with consciousness. Manifest God. Make God's infinite self manifest within the tzimtzum. Not escapism. That's, a, that's another implication of tzimtzum literally. But that we'll discuss next time in two weeks you had a, you had a question yeah. so as the previous Lubavitcher Rebbe would say we should wish everyone and wish himself we should all receive the Torah with joy and it should be internal otherwise we should take it to heart Shavuot should be more than just eating blintzes and eating cheesecake but Shavuot should be something very personally meaningful we're receiving the Torah all over again and uh, prepare for it. So everyone should be in shul. Get all your friends to come to shul. If you want to come here, we're going to have cheesecakes, and we're going to have all good things, and blitzes. But uh, either wherever you are, make sure get all your friends to come to shul. There shouldn't be a single Jew in the world or in our community who's not in shul and shavuot. Lessons in Tanya, taught by Rabbi Ben Zion Krasniansky. For more Tanya study, please visit our website at www.lessonsintanya.com.